welcome to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we value using our voice collectively to explore life challenges, including mental health, addiction, trauma, and ways to heal. With our voice, we empower, encourage, and transform lives. I'm your host, Daishika Bibbs, a certified trauma-focused therapist, licensed clinical social worker, and licensed certified addiction specialist. As you listen, ask questions, and enjoy the show, remember, this podcast is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a licensed mental health professional. As we embark on this journey together, let's elevate our voice to echo the sound for the voiceless. Welcome, 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 welcome. Today's guests wear multiple hats from being a pastor, an advocate to a clinician. He has a unique ability to meet people where they are by providing culturally competent interventions to assist clients with their emotional challenges. He obtained his undergrad degree from Winston-Salem State University in psychology in 2008. And he earned his master's degree from the Joint Masters of Social Work program from North Carolina A&T State University in 2015. He is currently a clinical social worker at North Carolina A&T State University and the founder of The Cypher. Elevated Voices podcast would like to give a beatboxing welcome to Andrew Watkins. That introduction was bananas. Shout out to you. Thank you. Thank you. That was super dope. Thank you. I try. I try. (laughs) I see. I see. So tell us a little bit more about the Cypher and why you created it. Yeah. So the Cypher, the short answer is the Cypher is a psychoeducational support group that engages folks in conversations about basic mental health concepts but connects it to different elements uh, of hip hop. So uh, we analyze lyrics, listen to music. We talk about the artist and uh, the context of the songs that the artists produce. And then we identify mental health themes that are embedded within just the culture of, of hip hop in general. The, the cypher started out as just a support group and since then, it's grown more into a training company where I provide uh, training opportunities for clinicians, uh, as well as folks in the community who, are, who do similar work to, to learn how to implement uh, the elements of hip hop into whatever work that they do. Uh, and then I provide some consulting where I may partner with a a school system or clinicians in in different companies to to really explore ways that they can incorporate uh, hip hop into uh, the services that they provide. So that's basically what what the cypher is. That's dope. But why hip hop out of all the genres of music? Why hip hop? So I grew up in a musical family, started out in church uh, where my, my moms and them had the family choir uh, as, as many uh, Black families in the South particularly 
uh, grew up with. Over time, though, uh, my cousins exposed me to hip hop, spoken word. Uh, and then I also had another cousin that was really, really heavy into like alternative rock. So uh, Jimi Hendrix and, and folks like that. So I was drawn to just so many different areas of music, uh, developed a love for hip hop as a, as a young boy, started rapping, freestyling and doing all of that all the way back in middle school. Passion continued to grow even up until college. And although uh, I, I was interested in psychology, I always wanted to figure out a way to incorporate my passion for, for music and for hip hop into the work that I did. I was always particularly drawn to the artists that have more substance in their uh, content. Uh, so um, the Commons and the Taleb Kweli's and uh, the Roots. And what I was always interested in was that the fact that they were talking about mental health issues. And so over time, it just made sense to marry uh, my skill set as a clinician with the, the content in hip hop that really explored mental health issues and substance abuse issues um, within the minds of the rappers that I was I was interested in. Um, and right, so right. I jumped in and uh, it became a thing uh, up until now. So when you created the cipher, were you targeting the African-American community? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I knew that um, the African-American community, as well as the Latino community, founded the genre um, in the South Bronx in the early 70s. Although it has spread throughout the, the world and has became a, a global phenomenon, I knew that I would be able to serve people in the Black and Brown community more effectively because of how I grew up uh, and the fact that there was a, a, a large portion of the Black community that was just as passionate about hip hop. So I felt like it would uh, appeal to uh, folks from the community right. uh, in a way that could bridge the gap that, you know, is oftentimes seen within the Black community where folks aren't as trusting or open to mental health services. Um, so I felt like using hip hop would be a way to draw folks in to participate in the services more. Definitely. And I, I have to agree with you because one of the things that you said is that you meet people where they are, no matter who they mm -hmm. are. And if music is one of the ways to get to them and to meet them where they are, then you do so. I mean, as clinicians, we have to pull all type of tricks out of our bags to yeah. get our clients engaged. The stigma that right. surrounds mental health for you know our african american communities and our people of color mm -hmm. that stigma is very deep it's almost like an open wound when you talk about it so yeah i think that the cipher and what you created it in that platform is awesome so i just want to give you kudos for that thank you thank you yeah it's it's, it's definitely been uh it's been a blessing it went from just something that i i thought about in undergrad to now my own small business and, and really seeing how receptive people have been to it has, it's just been crazy. Right. I know you say that you do trainings with mm -hmm. other clinicians, other 
agencies, how are our non people of color being receptive to the cipher? It's, it's been a combination of people really, really buying in that's outside of uh, the black and brown community or folks being a bit hesitant to engage with the work that I do. Okay. Uh, I did a, I did a training for UNC School of Social Work last year in partnering with uh, their field coordinator, I believe was her title. When we started talking about the, the training that I was going to provide, she was concerned. She didn't want to misappropriate the genre because of, you know, just her, her whiteness and her ignorance to the art form. She was familiar with hip hop, but she didn't want to mishandle. And, and she didn't, she also wanted to be mindful about the rest of the clinicians and the students that would be on the call to make sure that they wouldn't mishandle it as well. Um, and so that's definitely been a part of the conversation and stuff that I've done where folks are like, yeah, uh, Andrew, I, I really uh, am interested in your work, but I don't want to mishandle it. Um, and so I've had to incorporate more conversation in my my presentations about what cultural appropriation looks like, how to properly utilize elements of hip hop in your work as a white clinician, it's really giving folks the opportunity to just expand their thinking and grow. Although it may be a bit uncomfortable for folks, that that discomfort is good because yeah. it, it allows us to step out of our comfort zone and, and, and become better clinicians. Definitely. And I appreciate you sharing that story with us because being a clinician and having individuals come in who are brown skin, dark skin, you have to, again, be able to make that connection in order to work and be effective in that therapeutic process with that individual. And so right. your project that you have, Decipher, does just that, but it also challenged us as clinicians. And then most importantly, our clinicians who are out there who are of Caucasian descent, it allows them to step outside of their comfort zone. And mm-hmm. one thing that, you know, I feel is good because it pushes you to be, like you said, it pushes all of us to be a better clinician, but it gives our, you know, Caucasian counterparts a little snippet of being able to see things in a different way. And right. also, give them a better understanding of the pain, the struggle, and even the trauma that comes Mm -hmm. from the African-American or people of color community and their experiences and how they do what they do or why they do what they do. Yeah, A lot of people may not know or realize that music has been deeply rooted in the African-American community and people of um, color community for years, years. Even dating back to slavery, mm-hmm. they used to do what they call a, a call and answer and yep. how they actually used music and, and lyrics and song to actually travel through the Underground Railroad and get to, mm-hmm. you know, from the South to the North. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, music is integral to the Black experience. There's no, no question about it. Not only in, in America, but beyond. 
a lot of the principles that Black folks during slavery adopted as far as music is concerned was directly connected to their African experience. So the drums and the, the, even the call and response, the dance, uh, all of these things were uh, just at the heart of what it meant to be Black and, and still is today. And, and that's why I think it's, it's super unique to, to be able to, to use the cypher or, or just hip hop in general. It, it does connect with things that are just very important to, to people's lives. Like you can remember songs from your childhood that are, are still very special to you, that are associated with um, great experiences that associated with great people that has played a role in lifting your your spirits. You may have been going through a, a difficult time in life uh, and you were able to, to tap in to attract, tap into a verse. I remember the first time that uh, I presented uh, at the NASW conference in 2019 and I opened it up by allowing folks to, to come up to the mic and to just rap whatever verse they they remember, they had memorized. Um, and I had a couple folks come up. One particular was a white lady. Uh, she came up and she she rapped just the, the opening verse of a, a classic hip-hop song, I Like Big Butts and I Cannot Lie, <laughs> right? Okay, <laughs> okay. It, it, it was definitely, I was not expecting that uh, from this lady, but the uh, reaction that it caused within the crowd was so like organic and powerful. Uh, here's this middle-aged white woman saying the lyrics of, of this song. Uh, and regardless of if you love the song, if you hate the song, like that moment uh, will forever be like imprinted on those folks' minds, they will be able to connect right. with, with the music in a way that's deeper than just the lyric. And, and that's why I think hip hop is so so powerful in music in general, because it allows us to connect to, to so many different aspects of what makes us human. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Just to piggyback off of what you said with the training that you gave, you also gave another training in 2000. In 21, actually, yeah, 2021, you gave a, another conference and the lyrics that you used were the bigger picture and mm -hmm. you did an awesome job with that and how you literally, you played his lyrics and you broke it down. These lyrics actually translate into symptoms. What are these right. a symptom of? And literally mm -hmm. it was PTSD without even saying, yeah. hey, this is PTSD. He was rapping all of the symptoms, the classic symptoms of PTSD. Right. And right. so right. I think that hip hop has a very unique way of expression therapy for individuals, again, to go back and write their experiences out. And I know we do mm -hmm. that a lot as being clinicians. We tell people, hey, get a journal and write your thoughts out, write it out. And I look at these lyrics as their journals of the journey of their lives, if that makes yeah, sense. It does. It does. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's ex it's expressed in a way that's that's very relevant, culturally relevant for for them and for the people in their in their communities. We could come to a session 
and we can talk about all of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And we could talk about some of the different interventions, whether it be journaling, whether it be DBT, whether it be CBT, identifying effective coping strategies, so on and so forth. If there's no connection with that person, then all of that fancy therapy talk means nothing. Nothing. It, it makes us feel like we're doing our job, but it's, it's not creating a, a space for healing with that person that we're working with. But when we can walk through the lyrics of Lil Baby's song and talk about how, man, sometimes I just I just feel afraid to, to go outside because of some of the, the, the instances of police brutality that have happened to people of color. Right. Like, man, I, I, I got to carry a, a strap around to to make sure that I'm my I'm protected and my family protected because I just never know what may may happen. These are ways to engage folks in, in conversations that's still in alignment with symptoms of a disorder or a diagnosis that we may be considering. We just got to figure out a different way to talk about it that will connect to our client's experience. Um, and I think hip hop, as you said. It, it gives us a, a unique opportunity to make those connections, which right. will allow folks to experience a, a, a more quality therapeutic moment. And that's that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. And you pointed out two great things, which is, of course, you know, connectivity and being able to meet that person where they are again and just being able to have that that relationship because again we mm-hmm. know that without that relationship therapy can't progress and it's like right. you know hey I'm wasting my time the the client wasting their time but then you also pointed out of the lyrics that you use are mm-hmm. also raising not only mental health awareness, but also the social injustice that we are currently experiencing now, you know, and I'm not saying that this is something new because it's not Mm -hmm. something new, but it gives it a different lens. Right. So, and now people are slowly starting to realize that, Hey, you know what? The things that are going on are not right. The whole, you know, Black Lives Matter movement, the whole police brutality, you know, it's been going on for years and years and years, but Mm -hmm. no one has created this space for us to take real action and get down to the root of the problem, which Mm -hmm. is our laws, which is the way that things have been institutionalized for so long. Again, the cipher and the whole concept behind it is it's awesome. You know, I think it's 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 awesome. It's beyond amazing. Yeah. 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 So I know that you talked a little bit about being a clinician and mm-hmm. your passion for that, but you weren't always a clinician. You actually mm-hmm. started off in ministry. So how did you make that switch over? I after I graduated from Winston State. In 2008, I jumped into youth ministry. My pastor at the time was a new pastor, five years older than me, brought a lot of energy to the ministry, which drew a lot of families. And so with our influx in 
teens, he asked me to teach a class uh, for our teens. And that the, the teaching of that class eventually led to me becoming a youth pastor. I, I served that position in that position for like 10 years. Youth ministry exposed me to the lives of the young people that we were serving at my church. But around the same time that I started youth pastoring, I got my first clinical job as a an intensive in-home uh, clinician where I was working with kids in the juvenile justice system. So my, my work in ministry was directly connected to my work in intensive in-home because it was really just building relationships with young people and with families. Yeah. So, but ministry was always something that I had been exposed to even before I got into leadership. I grew up in in the church. In fact, the church that I serve at now that I was serving at when I was a youth pastor is a church I've been at all my life. I'm homegrown and it's it's been a it's been a really really uh, amazing experience. It sounds like it. Mm-hmm. And I honestly feel like your work in ministry, it was almost like, you know, it paved the way, like you said, going into mental health. But was mental health always a passion of yours? Did you want to go into mental health or did you like accidentally stumble on, hey, this is what what it is? So when I was in, in high school, I felt like I was a good listener. I thought that that was a skill that I had. So because I couldn't think of nothing else to major in, I thought psychology would be the best move for me because I knew that people had to listen pretty good. That was my my goal was to be in therapy in some way, shape or form. I just didn't know the specifics of it during undergrad and even during a good portion after I graduated. Working in intensive, it's just a different type of therapy definitely not your traditional therapy approach. So I kind of interpreted that position as more of an advocate, a community advocate than your your traditional therapy. But interesting thing about ministry, particularly being a pastor, is the the access that you have to to people, the vulnerability that folks will will show to you in your relationship. And, And because of that vulnerability, your ability to influence the way that their mind works uh, and the way that they manage Mm -hmm. the stress that they're experiencing. As I was getting deeper and deeper into ministry and deeper and deeper into the scripture, I was also making connections to the work that I could do as a clinician. Being a good clinician requires us to be able to build strong relationships with people. Rapport is, is the number one quality to build in order to have an effective therapeutic relationship with a client. And ministry taught me how to to connect with people. And then after establishing that connection, using my newfound clinical skill set to help people reroute the way that their mind operates whenever they're triggered for whatever reason. Right. And I think that that is an amazing skill set to have, that combination of experience with ministry and mental health, just like you said, you know, you need to be able to understand people, but not just understand them again, make that connection. And I know that the word connection we have used so many times, but that, I mean, it's important. You have to be able to do so. And people are seeking individuals who understand, even if you don't have the 
same experiences they have. But if you understand where I'm coming from, showing that you understand and having that empathy and can relate to them, then honestly, like the sky is the limit. And I think that for a long time in the mental health field, there were only Caucasians at one point. And just recently, we've seen the shift in having more people of color actually provide clinical services. And I actually think that's amazing. You want to be able to also speak Mm -hmm. to someone who who look like you and, you know, again, who may share some of those experiences that you do or truly understand where you come from. In, In your experience as a clinician, do you feel using the cipher in your work is more effective than traditional therapy? Uh, I don't think it's necessarily more effective because it really depends on the person that you're working with. I think the better question or thought for us to consider is how can we use interventions like the cypher? How can we use uh, art forms like hip hop to enhance what we've come to believe is traditional therapy? I think that's probably a bigger issue within the field is that We've been boxed in and confined by what we've been taught is the most effective approach to to therapy. And and let's be honest, therapy, particularly in in America and Western society, uh, was created by white men. The DSM is written by or was originally written by uh, white clinicians, the interventions and techniques that were taught by and large, were like founded um, by white folks. That ain't no shot to my white brothers and sisters that may be listening to this podcast. That's just a reality. And because of their experiences, particularly the founders of, of modern therapy in America, because of their experiences, because of their biases, whatever the case may have been, that has heavily influenced what we've come to believe is traditional and the most effective way of conducting therapy. Well, now we know better. Because we know better, it's incumbent of us as clinicians to start to disrupt this the status quo that has been established within the field and to, to really bring our voices to the table, bring our skills to the table so we can dismantle what was traditional therapy and create something uh, that's that's fresh, that's new, uh, and that's really going to be able to create some change amongst the people that we work with. And, and now is the best time to do that with the, the disruption that quarantine and COVID-19 has brought and just the craziness of 2020 in general and you know, ble- bleeding into 2021. Now people are like knocking down the doors to come to therapy. Yeah, it makes it that much more important for us to be ready to to provide them with the, what's the most quality stuff. So whether it's the cipher, whatever your passion, whatever your skill set is, use that to have a better connection with the people that you serve. Definitely. What you said is absolutely true. And being able to step outside of our comfort zone, try new things, get creative to reach the individuals that we serve it is a must. You know, it is a must. And one of the things you said was being able to bring our voices to the table. 
So can you share any positive words for individuals who may be listening to this podcast, who may be on the fence about receiving mental health services? Yes. Life is rough. It's harder when we are doing it alone. As, as challenging as it may be, my, my encouragement for you is to connect with a clinician. There's so many opportunities to do that. You don't even, you don't even at this point got to leave outside of your house. As long as you got internet, computer, or a phone, there's great therapists out there that are providing services virtually. I would suggest that you get connected with a, with a therapist and really lean into your support system, people around you that want to, to see you thrive and to flourish. So that, that would be my positive words. I know it's rough, but it's harder alone. So connect with someone that can walk with you as you go through these challenging situations that we're facing. Thank you. And listeners, you have heard it directly from Mr. The King of Cypher himself. So our listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, to to see what you're about, to check out the Cypher, to get a training or just to ask you questions. How can they reach you? So you could catch me on andrewwatkins.net. That will give you access to what's going on, how you can contact me, you can learn more about the Cypher or just more about me as an individual. Uh, I'm pretty active on social media platforms. So you can find me on Instagram. I am Pastor Drew, uh, all lowercase. And that will give you access to my Instagram account. On Facebook, you could just look up Andrew Watkins. Uh, and if you want to just shoot me an email, info at andrewwatkins.net. Um, and we could chop it up that way as well. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for coming out and sharing these positive words of encouragement with us. Elevated Voices Podcast was honored to have you in the building on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. Shout out to Elevated Voices Podcast. Listen, y'all ain't subscribed yet. Y'all need to get on it. Um, that she is putting out amazing, crazy content for not only commissions, but for people in general. So make sure y'all subscribe. Y'all leave a rating. Give her a five star because she come in with some powerful, powerful stuff. So thank you. I'm honored to be able to, to share the the stage with such an esteemed clinician as yourself. Um, and definitely uh, you have my prayers and the work that you're doing moving forward. Thank you so much. That's an honor. Thank you for tuning in to Elevated Voices Podcast, where we enjoy using our voice to share information which promotes growth and change. Never feel like you are alone. Join our Elevated Voices podcast community at Elevated Voices underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned to bi-weekly episodes wherever you get your podcast. If there is a topic that you would like me to cover, or if you have questions, you can send me an email via my Elevated Voices podcast Facebook page. And remember, don't forget to let your voice be heard.